Good morning to everyone in Quakertown. Good morning to everyone watching online. It's awesome to be together as one church in however many locations people are watching online. I don't know, but lots. And my name is Jason. I'm one of the student pastors here. It's awesome to be able to be with you this morning. And one thing I wanted to start with this morning is I want to be friends with you. You guys are good people. I like you. I know a lot of times pastors are up here like, I don't know that guy. And I could offer some things about myself and I could be like, I'm from Chicago, played soccer, concussions. You'd be like, yeah, 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 I've heard that a thousand times. Time for some new material. And so what I did, so you can get to know me a little better, is I asked my close friend and close colleague, Jess Greaser, to write a question that would help you get to know me better and put it in a sealed envelope so that I can read it with you for the first time so you can get to know me better. Jess is in Quakertown doing missions commissioning. I trusted you. So I don't think it's an overstatement to say our friendship hangs in the balance. All right. <clears throat> oh, this is nice. She treated me nicely. And you got your own question. First service, second service. What is your favorite thing about your dog, Nala? Oh, very sweet. The first dog I've ever had, and she's 40 pounds and she's amazing. I... She just mellows me out. I don't know how else to say it. I'm an Enneagram 8. Does anyone care about the Enneagram? Probably not. I am an 8, and it was hilarious. We just got this dog, and I was listening to this podcast about 8s, and 8s are known as being, like, super intense, and which is awesome to people say that about you. And on this podcast, it was like, the best thing for Enneagram 8s is to have a rescue dog in their life. And my wife's like, amen, preach it. So, I don't know. She just, she just mellows me out. That's, that's my answer. Um, Another question I feel like I should answer because I've been getting this question a lot lately, especially from my friend Sean Yoder. I do not get my hair cut every week, okay? <laughs> it's not, it's once a month, okay? Uh, another thing about me, and I'm guessing I'm in the minority on this other than my wife, is um, how many of us had a kangaroo at our wedding? None of us? Cool, just me. Awesome. So what I think is cool about my wife is I think a lot of times pastors their wives, people know them as, so I'm guessing Kim Zimmerman, a lot of people are like, oh, you're Charles's wife, or Jen Velez might be like, oh, you're Carlos's wife. I think I'm the only pastor people know as Melissa's husband. Um, so that's cool. Uh, so my wife, her close friend owned this place locally in Hatfield called Jumpin' Jacks. It was an inflatable party land, and their mascot was this kangaroo, which is important information for this story. And so as we're, our wedding was approaching, as we're entering wedding season, some of you are getting married or you're going to weddings, you've RSVP'd. As it always goes, people that RSVP'd yes, like the week of, are like, oh, I can't make it, which is such a bummer because you pay tons of money for their food and so you're out like hundreds of bucks. So we had that happen to us, like everybody does. And Melissa, my wife, had some friends from Jumpin' Jacks who had wanted to come to our wedding, but we didn't become friends with them until after the invitations had been sent out. And so she went to them and said, hey, look, some people bailed. You can come to the wedding. Two conditions. One, you have to bring us a gift, which I personally was thankful for. Had to bring us a gift. Two, you have to bring the kangaroo Jack mascot to the wedding. Never told me about this. So I'm at my wedding, and I'm dancing on the dance floor, and I look, and I see a costume kangaroo mascot dancing on the dance floor with my wife's grandmother. 
and that was my wedding. And as I've thought about this concept of RSVPing, as we're entering wedding season, we're actually heading out to a wedding tomorrow in California. I think a lot of us are familiar with this concept of RSVPing to something and then not being able to show up. Maybe it's a graduation party, maybe it's a graduation, maybe for some of us it's somebody else's wedding or our wedding. And I think for some of us, that's not too different than where we are in our faith. I think a lot of us in this room, if we were asked, if you're a Christian, we would say yes, I'm a Christian. We, we've accepted this invitation from Jesus. We think we've RSVP'd yes to be in relationship with him, but we haven't really done anything about it. And as time has gone on, our lives have looked the same. Our hearts have looked the same. Our habits have been the same. The ways we've loved people have been the same. The ways we haven't loved people have been the same. Our struggles are the same. Everything's the same. There's no evidence that we know Jesus. And if Jesus were to come back today, some of us who consider ourselves Christians might in fact not be with God in eternity. And we're in a series we're calling Christianity Illustrated, where we're talking about the parables of Jesus. And uh, what I think is really cool about Jesus is he tells a lot of stories. A lot of times when Jesus' closest friends asked him these, these life questions, these deep spiritual questions, he wouldn't just give them an answer. He wouldn't just offer advice. He would communicate a spiritual truth by telling them a story. And so we've been going through some of those stories together. And he, Jesus speaks directly to this idea in one of his parables that some of us who might think we're Christians, who might consider ourselves to be Jesus followers, in fact, might not be, and in fact, might not be with him in eternity. And I can almost sense pushback when I say that because I don't, I don't know you, and you know I don't know you, and so I think the thought is, who are you to tell me who I am? Who are you to tell me I'm a Christian or not? Who are you to know who Jesus is in my life? I, I don't. I'm not here to judge you. I'm not here to condemn you. I'm not here to make you feel guilty. None of those things. But my prayer all week over this message has been this, that those of us who thought we've RSVP'd, yes, for those of us who thought we've accepted this invitation but actually haven't and have actually fallen asleep in a sense in our faith, that God would wake us up. That those of us whose eyes have been closed, that God would open our eyes and stir in our hearts this desire to follow him. And we're going to be reading in the book of Matthew, chapter 25, uh, Jesus, the first four books of the second half of the Bible called the New Testament are called the Gospels, or the books that are about the life of Jesus. And these people walked with Jesus, they lived life with Jesus, they saw him perform miracles, they saw him teach, and some of these eyewitnesses wrote down what they saw. And so Matthew, what we know of as the book of Matthew, was just a friend of Jesus who saw how he lived life and wrote it down, and it's been preserved throughout history. We call it the book of Matthew. We're going to be in the 25th chapter of that book in in a parable called the parable of the 10 virgins, Matthew 25, 1 through 13. Let me read it for us. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. 
No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. This is a parable about wisdom and even more so a parable about preparedness. Now there's 10 virgins. We're gonna call them bridesmaids. We don't need to talk about why that's awkward. We're just gonna call them bridesmaids. That was their function. 10 bridesmaids. And they grab their lamps and walk outside to meet the bridegroom. Now, how weddings would work in that day was the the father of the groom would go to the house of the bride-to-be to negotiate a dowry, a payment for the wedding. And they would negotiate. And once it was agreed upon, they would walk outside, meet up with the wedding party. They would parade in the streets to the house of the groom, and they would have a wedding celebration. They'd have a wedding feast. They'd have a banquet. They'd have a wedding. They'd have a party. And so these bridesmaids are waiting for them in the street for this negotiation to be final so they can meet up with the bride and groom and have a wedding celebration. But the negotiations are taking a long time, longer than they had expected, and so they fell asleep. But finally, the negotiations have been made. The bridegroom's coming out of the house to meet up with the wedding party so they can go have the party. So they wake up, but five of the the bridesmaids, the one without oil, the passage refers to them as foolish, had no more oil to light their lamps to walk with the wedding party. So they ask the five wise bridesmaids, the five that had enough oil, lend us some of your oil so we can be with the party. But they said, no, there's not enough for both of us. Go get your own. So they do. They go by their own. But by the time they get back, it's too late. The bridegroom has arrived. They've entered the wedding banquet and the door is shut and they're not allowed in. And I think as we look at what this parable means for us, And how we can read ourselves into it, it's helpful to look at both similarities and differences between the two kind of groups of five bridesmaids. The first thing we're going to look at is similarities. First of all, all all ten were invited to the wedding. They wouldn't have tried to attend if they weren't invited. This isn't like the first ever wedding crasher story, okay? They were all invited. They weren't the OG wedding crashers. They all responded yes. They all RSVP'd, yes, we're attending the wedding. They wouldn't have gone out to meet the bridal party if they hadn't. Chicken or fish, I don't know what they ordered. We just know where they're going. Always fish, by the way, always. There's something about wedding fish. It's just better than all of the other fish. Sea bass is a great wedding fish if you're planning a wedding. Stupid point, okay. All of them responded yes. They had a desire to attend. We also see that all of them had positive feeling positive affection towards the bridegroom. They were waiting for him in the street. You don't just wait in the street for people you don't think good things about. They liked, they generally liked the bridegroom. And as we see in the story, five wise, five foolish, all 10 fell asleep. But there's, and there's one major difference. There's one major difference between the 10 women, the 10 bridesmaids in this story. And it's obvious, really, five had enough oil and five didn't. And having enough oil in this story symbolizes something deeper. And that something deeper it symbolizes is preparedness. Five were prepared 
for the bridegroom to be delayed and five were not. And the preparedness reveals something about the heart of the bridesmaids. If you've been at this, in this series at all with us, we have been using a book to help inform our knowledge and teaching of these parables called The Parables of Jesus by this guy named James Montgomery Boyce. He was a pastor for a long time in a, at a church in Philadelphia. And, and he says the condition, the heart condition of the five wise and the five foolish was revealed during a time of crisis. He refers to the coming of the bridegroom as a time of crisis. And the crisis is what reveals what's tr- the, the true heart, the true preparedness, the true condition of the bridesmaids. If, the bri- if, if they had been on time, all 10 would have been cool, but the bridegroom was late. So as soon as things took a turn, as soon as the situation uh, had a surprise, had a twist, as soon as something unexpected happened, the five bridesmaids without oil were unprepared and the five with oil were proven to be prepared. So let me ask you this morning, which are you? Charles has been talking in this series about reading ourselves into the parable. Where do we fit into what Jesus is trying to teach us? So the bridegroom in this story is Jesus. The Bible teaches that Jesus is going to return to earth one day. And here at Calvary, we like to split the Bible up into six different parts. We call it the storyline of the Bible. In the beginning, God creates. God creates everything. Everything was good. Everything was perfect. But mankind reject God. They disobey God. So God has to do something to restore his relationship with humanity again. So God makes a promise and God... fulfills his promise in the person of Jesus who comes in the form of God to die for our sins on the cross. And God sends us into the world to tell everyone about him and Jesus will return one day to the earth to restore the earth into his kingdom. So the Bible is made up of 66 books, but it communicates one story. So we believe Jesus is gonna come to earth to restore the earth. We just don't know when. The parable right before this in Matthew chapter 24, the point is Jesus is gonna come earlier than some of you expect. The point in this parable is he's gonna come later than some of you expect. The point is we don't know when he's coming, but the question remains, are you ready? If Jesus were to return today, would you be prepared? And this is where I think the parable can be particularly thought-provoking, particularly convicting, and where we can read ourselves into it. Because like the bridesmaids, all of us have received an invitation from Jesus to be a part of his eternal wedding feast. All of us have received an invitation from Jesus to be with him in eternity. Like the bridesmaids, many of us feel as if we've RSVP'd yes to the invitation. Pew research would suggest 70% of Americans when asked would say, yes, I'm a Christian. So three and four of us would say, yeah, I'm a Christian. We think we've RSVP'd yes to the wedding. Like the bridesmaids, I think we have general affection for the bridegroom. I think we have general affection for Jesus. I don't think many of us would have negative things to say about Jesus. We think he's a good guy. We think he's a moral guy. We like what he says. We like what he does. We come to church sometimes. We like Jesus generally, but like a lot of the bridesmaids, in actuality, we're not prepared. Some of us who think we've responded to this invitation inwardly haven't changed. Our lives are the same. There's no inward transformation. 
And I think where there's no inward transformation, when there's no change in our hearts, when there's no change in our lives, there's no salvation. And the main thing and the main point I want you to get from you this morning that I think this parable is teaching us is this, heart renewal leads to heavenly readiness. Heart renewal leads to heavenly readiness. If we truly know Jesus, our lives will be transformed. Our lives cannot possibly stay the same. The Bible refers to things like you will move from death to life. You will be reborn. You will be born again. You will experience transformation. You will experience renewal. And that renewed heart that comes from being in relationship with Jesus will lead us to be heavenly ready. It will lead us to be prepared for that day when Jesus does return Again, but how how do we know that? How do we honestly assess where we are? How do we evaluate if we've truly RSVP'd? I think that's a really hard question. That's not a question I can answer for you because even if your life is full of good things, even if you treat everybody great, you love everybody, you respect everybody, your life is full of awesome things, that doesn't mean you know Jesus. We're not saved by anything we do. We're saved because God is gracious and we have faith. We're saved by grace alone, faith alone. We can't earn it. So just because your life is full of the right things doesn't mean your heart is renewed. So how do we possibly know that? And here's what Boyce suggests in his book. And he raises this question, what is your faith like during times of crisis? Remember, he he says the condition of the hearts of the bridesmaids is revealed during a time of crisis. So what is your faith like during a time of crisis? Where is your faith in times of sickness? Where is your faith during the sickness or death of a loved one? Where is your faith when you don't get the job you wanted or you got rejected from your dream school or you failed a test or your basement floods or you get into a car accident? Where is your faith during those situations. And I'm not saying you can't be mad when something bad happens. I'm not saying you can't be frustrated. I'm not saying you can't be angry at God. I'm not saying you can't doubt God. I'm not saying you can't wrestle with God. I'm not saying you can't ask hard questions to God. That's not what I'm saying. But does a crisis in your life reveal the appearance of faith or does it reveal the absence of faith? Because crisis will in turn reveal the true nature of our hearts. And I'd argue actually that the wrestling with God and the fighting with God and the doubting God in times of crisis reveals the appearance of faith and not the absence of faith. And here's what makes sense in my mind. We had some tornadoes a couple weeks ago. First time I ever had to cancel ministry here because of a tornado. I came from the Midwest. thought I was escaping tornadoes. I'm not, apparently. <clears throat> a, a tree can be blown in the wind like crazy in a tornado. We could have crazy high winds. Trees could get blown and the fruit of the tree might fall, and the leaves of the tree might fall, but the tree can remain upright because it's rooted in the ground. So during times of crisis, you might be blown by the wind, and the fruit might fall off, and the leaves might fall off, and you might very well be affected by the crisis, but you can remain upright because you have roots in who Jesus is. So what does crisis reveal about your faith? It's a question we all have to ask ourselves. And I don't want us to leave without this idea and without this knowledge that there is an invitation. There's an invitation that's described in this story and there's an invitation in our lives. Jesus is inviting you to his eternal wedding feast. He's inviting you to spend eternity with heaven. He's inviting you to know him 
to rest in him, to know his love, his goodness, his grace, his kindness, his faithfulness, his mercy, his power, his strength, his goodness. He's inviting you to know these things. And I'm afraid, I'm afraid that some of us think we've responded to the invitation, but we don't realize we're unprepared. We think we've said yes, but our lives have never changed. There's never been a renewal in our hearts. And one day, whether we, whether we die or whether Jesus returns, we're gonna be at the door of the eternal wedding feast, banging at the door, pleading to be let in. And I'm afraid for some of us, we're gonna be surprised with the answer, I don't know you. This is not a popular thing to talk about. I'm not gonna win a popularity contest by teaching this. I think sometimes we have a hard time believing that about God. How could God turn his back on me? How could he turn his back on us? How could God be so callous to shut the door to eternity and not let me in? And as I've been reflecting on these verses this week, it struck me that the words that he says in the parable are, I don't know you. And there's an implication there that if you don't know me, I don't know you. And so if we're banging on the wedding feast and we're not being let in, it's not God who's turning his back on us. It's us who've turned our back on God. It's us who never knew God. And I'm not, I'm not saying this to scare anybody. I'm not saying this con- to condemn anybody. I'm not trying to lay on a guilt trip. <clears throat> I hope you can hear that this is coming from a place of deep love for you, for this church, for this community, for this place. I want you so badly to to know Jesus. I want you so badly to experience a renewal in your heart, a transformation in your heart that can allow you to follow Jesus for the rest of your life. Because I'm afraid that at the end of your life, if you don't, your life will have left you empty. So as we talk about what to do with this passage and how to apply it, to our lives, I want you to hear there's a real urgency to this message. We don't know when Jesus is coming. There's a real urgency to our message. So if you're in this story and you're one of the five wise, you had enough oil, you know Jesus, you've experienced transformation, then you need to know there is urgency to our mission. There is real urgency to our mission. There is real urgency to our message. The people in our lives that we interact with that don't know Jesus, there is urgency to them knowing who Jesus is in our lives. There is urgency to them knowing who God created them to be. There is urgency to them knowing what Jesus accomplished for them on the cross. There's urgency for them to know that there was a crucifixion, but there was an empty tomb. That is a message that is urgent. We cannot delay in conveying that message to the world. But if you're sitting here and you don't, you don't know, you don't know where you stand with God, you don't know what Je- who Jesus is to you. You, you, maybe you've never thought you've RSVP'd yes to his invitation, maybe you thought you did, but right now you're like, I honestly don't know. I think th- there's a verse that helps us understand what we can do with this if that's where you are. It's in the book of 2 Corinthians, which is a letter that this guy Paul wrote to a church. He says, in the time of my favor, I heard you, and then in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. 
If you're sitting here and you don't know where you are with God, there's urgency for you too, because you don't, we don't know when Jesus is coming back. So today might be the day. Now is the day of salvation. Today is the day to begin a relationship with Jesus. Today can be the day to experience renewal in your heart, to experience transformation in your heart, to experience life change. I've been praying so hard for this morning over this message, over the people watching online, over both of our campuses, that God would stir in our hearts something new. Like I said earlier, those of us whose eyes have shut, that God would open them to the reality of who he is, that those of us who have fallen asleep, that God would wake up to know who he is and to experience his love and grace in a way that totally changes the trajectory of our lives. So if you're feeling something in your heart this morning, I ask you, please do not leave this place this morning. If you're in Quakertown, do not leave Quakertown this morning without talking with somebody about what you feel like God is revealing to you today. We have people at our next steps in hub space. They want to meet with you, talk with you about what you're learning. They want to talk to you about what it means to follow Jesus. Students going to college, let me, can I just say one thing to you specifically this morning? Do not say to yourself, you're going to do this later. Do not say to yourself, I want to live my life and I'll become a Christian later. It's in my plans, but it's in my plans down the road. Because here, here's what I think. I think when we intentionally live a life apart from God, when we intentionally run from God, I think it creates a hardness in our heart. And it becomes increasingly difficult to turn to him in the future when we're consciously turning away from him now. So the time is now for you as well. Please don't delay. We, we don't know when he's coming back. I think people like to use this phrase, it's never too late to know Jesus. And I understand the sentiment, but if I'm reading this passage how I think I should, that's actually not true. There will come a day where it's too late. There will come a day when the door is shut and some of us are on the outside looking in, but it's not too late yet. So for some of us, now is the day of salvation. Heart renewal leads to heavenly readiness. Are you ready? Are you prepared? Our team thought it would be good to give us an opportunity to respond to this message this morning by closing with a song. And I want to invite you this morning as we sing this last song to spend a few moments with God and ask him what he might have for you this morning. So we're going to sing this song. I'm asking you to stand with me as I pray, and we're going to sing this song together. And I hope and I encourage you, sit with God in this moment. Ask him what he has for you this morning. God, we know there's an invitation. God, I don't know what's happening in this room right now. I don't know what's happening in our hearts today. I've trusted and prayed that you were going to begin a new work in some of our lives this morning. Amen. I'm going to read some of the lyrics of this song so you can have an idea of what we're singing, give you an idea of how you can respond. The song says, you stood before my failure. You carried your cross for my shame. My sin weighed upon your shoulders, my soul now to stand. What can I say, what can I do, but offer my heart completely to you? So I'll stand. With arms high, heart abandoned, in awe 
of the one who gave it all, all I am is yours.